Hey everyone, welcome to episode 88 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins! What's up Chris? Not too much, did not, not coming off of a magic weekend, I did a lot more magic watching than I did magic playing Same. this past weekend. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we were both spectators this previous weekend, so I that's think, good. I think most people were spectators. Yeah, the, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it makes sense, there was a big event to be spectating. The smallest, largest magic tournament <laughs> right. yeah, 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 in yeah. history. Um, yeah, definitely can, can describe it however you want, depending on what qualifiers you want to use. Yeah, but. They, they all apply. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to talk about our impressions of the Mythic Invitational, what we think about it, sort of what we think this means for magic going forward and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then we're just mostly going to talk about a lot of the War of the Spark spoilers, because we got yes. a lot of them. We got like a third of the set spoiled at this point. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, lots of exciting stuff. I'm uh, not going to talk about Modern too much because neither of us are going to Cleveland this weekend, so we're not like up to the second on Modern, which is kind of where you need to be right now, I guess, in order to really be broadcasting information. Right. Um, you know, we can't tell you exactly how many Pyromancer Ascensions to run in your <laughs> Phoenix deck this weekend, yeah. which is, you know, maybe the most important thing. It could thing. be anywhere between one and four. Who knows? <laughs> it looks like three. It looks like three. <laughs> two to three. You want to have... You definitely don't want to have fewer than your opponent in the mirror. That's yes. that's bad news. Right. So. Right. But anyways. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Before um, we get completely, you know. Well, I mean, we are but... about to do a, a Phoenix Keeper mall. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. All right. Um, before we get to that, thanks so much to our patrons for supporting us. If you'd like to become a patron, uh, get some tokens and stuff sent to you, uh, come hang out in the Discord. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. And yeah, let's just get, the, get to this Keeper mall. So this is one... That uh, Dylan Hand had posted on Twitter, yep. and then he used it in an article as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought this was a great example of a hand that, when you pick up a new deck, a lot of times you have no idea what kinds of hand to keep. Right. And then after you've played a number of matches with it, after you've gone through several tournament weekends, and you get a much more intuitive understanding of what is good, what is important, and right. what isn't. Yeah. So, like, when I'm sitting next to Lee and he's playing Were. I'll look over at his hands, and he'll be like, this hand is terrible. And I'll be like, I trust you. Yeah, it looks like lands and spells to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Uh, and so Phoenix is one of those decks that I've played with enough that, you know, kind of some of the weirder hands, I have a stronger understanding now of whether it's good or not. And I yeah. think this is one of those hands that might be pretty confusing if you haven't actually gotten games in with the deck. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is... Two Arclight Phoenixes, a Thought Scour, a Manamorphose, a Spire Bluff Canal, and two Mountains. Yep. Obviously, the first thing you notice about this hand is there's no Faithless Looting right. to contribute to getting these Phoenixes in play. Yep. So what you know, what do you think, starting out looking at this hand? So disclaimer, I haven't read, I haven't seen Dylan Hand's Twitter post or read his article. So yeah, I, no, that's I, good. I have no information That's going good. You're this. coming in so, fresh. So I'm going to give my raw interpretation of this hand. Yeah. I think, well, first of all, I think that it, the power level of this hand definitely depends on whether or not we're on the player of the draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we're if we're on the draw with this hand, the power level goes up significantly. Mm-hmm. And this was um, on the draw, by the way. This is on the draw. Okay, great. That makes me honestly kind of excited about this. Yeah. yeah. So, so right. So we have two Arclight Phoenixes in our opener. So we're kind of one faithless eluding away from having the nut draw. Right. We've even got the Manamorphose. Right. 
Yeah, so since we're on the draw, we have our natural draw step on turn one. Mm-hmm. We have a thought scour draw. Uh, we have a metamorphos draw, and we get our turn two draw as well. So that's four shots at another like kind of spell to mm-hmm. like keep going. So I think that's a a good you know percentage chance to hit something good. You know, it's not exactly like if I was all or nothing on a faith, faithless looting with this hand, then you know four shots at like faithless looting to be able to play or not would be. Not what you want, but we have four draws with this hand to yep. hit something, find something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that feels like plenty to me. And I, I think that having two Arclight Phoenixes in your opener feels a little clunky. But to me, it indicates that it ha- this hand has massive upside, which if you ever find a Faithless Looting, then it's just, you yep. know, it's just, you know, clearing out from there. You're, you're probably going to be golden. Yeah. So I, I think this hand is a keep. And I, I actually think that it has potential to be... Busted. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the ceiling is absolutely there. Yeah. And I think that's a really key thing is, like, giving yourself the ability mm-hmm. to win games. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. And and when you're turning down, you keep a hand that's a bunch of cantrips and a faithless looting and a couple of lands. Yeah. Like, you're not going to mulligan that, but that's two Arclight Phoenixes away from a two Arclight Phoenix turn two. Right. This is one faithless looting away from a two Arclight right. Phoenix exactly. turn exactly. No, that's an excellent point, for sure. You might not hit the Faithless Looting, but also that's not even the end of the world. Yeah, because you still get to play. Right. And and in game ones, like, they're so unlikely to be able to, like, surgical you or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, more likely now that the field is 20%. <laughs> game ones, more likely to surgical <laughs> you. <laughs> Chris, what year is it? <laughs> um, yeah. It Anyways. must be 2019. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Phoenix, winter, <laughs> right. spring, whatever season. Right. But so, like, one of the key things is like Arclight Phoenix in game one is just an incredible threat. Yeah. And they keep coming back. Mm-hmm. And what you really love to do game one is have access to two Phoenixes from very early yeah. on. We're going to find a Faithless Looting eventually. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not on turn two, we've got, once we hit it, then we get to keep we bringing these Phoenixes back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so it, it's one of those weird, like, you have these like internal reactions to like card arts almost when they're in your hand and like if they're good or not. Oh, absolutely. And like the purple of the Arclight Phoenix, like it, it used to be for me, like I'd have the Arclight Phoenixes in my opening hand and be like, I don't know. But now like seeing the purple, just like every time it comes into your hand, you're like, we're going to be doing something good. With this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. And if you're playing on Arena, you get that little animation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, so good. So good. Yeah. But, okay, so while we're on this hand, mm-hmm. uh, here's p- probably a more difficult question than Keeper Mulligan. Is whether to Thought Scour on turn one? Do you Thought Scour on turn one? So I think I do. Yeah. And so here's the thing is, like, yes, now we are looking for the, you know, technically the third ingredient to our Manamorphos double cantrip hand. So we, if we use the Thought Scour, then we're looking for the Faithless Looting and another cantrip. But I think the Thought Scour, we need to cast our cantrips to get us closer to the Faithless Looting. Yeah. That just has to happen. Right. Um, And I think you're setting yourself up for the biggest upside, especially if we're more saying like, maybe I'm more likely to be able to actually pull this off on turn three. Mm-hmm. You really don't want to not be casting the Thought Scour here. I was So I was talking to Dylan Donigan yesterday about this exact concept. Mm-hmm. Do you cast your cantrip on turn one? Mm-hmm. And um, Dylan just snapped off, yes, every time. Mm-hmm. And his explanation was really sound. He said, you really need that velocity. Yeah. You just need to get deeper into your deck to find your Faithless Lootings, to find your Arclight Phoenixes. The deeper you go into your deck, mm-hmm. the better off you're going to be, kind of no matter what. And if you're wasting your turn one mana, mm-hmm. 
you're just going to get less deeper in your deck. You're going to get clogged. Yep. And you're not going to have that velocity of finding your next cards. Mm-hmm. Because all of your deck is lands and cantrips, right. <laughs> you know you're you're gonna find more yeah. cantrips. It's just gonna happen, right? And and here's the thing: like you have to play t- towards winning the game, right. not like towards the worst result, which is like I thought scour and then I hit a land and then I hit a faithless suit. And like you can't play scared like that. Right. You have to trust your deck to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that means drawing as many cards as you can with this deck to get to that faithless suiting because it's gonna work eventually yeah. yeah like like even if we hit nothing but lands on turn four we get to manamorphose faithless looting flashback faithless looting and get these phoenixes back so it's yeah. like there's a thing going on there. and even you know even if we thought scour and like mill a, fa- a faithless looting that's still great, great. yeah right. turn three phoenixes right sure so you know you'd have to like save your manamorphose and maybe find another free spell but right uh you know it's still a thing you can still get them in your yard also notice that this hand has two mountains in it so we don't want to waste a blue mana ever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for sure. And I mean, just another reason why I don't run two mountains. <laughs> just <laughs> like, two mountains like in this, this opener. That's the closest, that's the thing that makes me want to keep this hand, that makes me want to mulligan this hand the most. Not the like, Not the do spell. I keep phoenixes with no faithless? I'll keep phoenixes with no faithless looting all day. Right. But two mountains... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it's fine. It's fine. I mean, we have it'll a work out. We have a metamorphose. Yeah. Like, it, it's completely acceptable. But yeah, cool. Yeah. Good hand to talk about. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's actually that hard once you've been playing this deck enough. Mm-hmm. But I think that starting out, you, you wouldn't necessarily know. Absolutely. I, I, my first game with this deck, I have no idea what to think about this right. hand. So. Yeah. Good point, for sure. So, yeah. Uh, Mythic Invitational. It, it was a big event. Yeah. It, there was... Completely different from any Magic tournament I've ever watched. It felt more like a Hearthstone tournament mm-hmm. than a Magic tournament, which yep. was good and great because yep. those tournaments are get a lot of publicity. Yeah, we hit. Uh, I think we peaked at one twenty eight thousand viewers for double Magic. the next the next highest viewed tournament or something like that, which was the last Mythic Championships. So. Right. Right. Yeah. So Magic's on the rise. Yeah, sounds great. Well, like that's what happens when you get commentators like Day Nine. And Kibler, who people want to watch, and they also tweet out about the event on their Twitters with hundreds of thousands of followers. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like, it, about a thing, because they, both of those guys love this game. Yeah. And, you know, and also, the, like, not to take away from the other commentators, like, the mm-hmm. whole coverage team was super, super I they were all great. Yeah, I yeah, agree. Absolutely. Uh, really impressed with David Williams' commentary. Oh, uh, yeah. Just very knowledgeable, very well-spoken. Um, he just nailed it, I think. Yeah. Just charming and oh, yeah. great rapport. With, like, yeah, just great performance. It was just a wonderful coverage team. And I I would love to see more of this. And, and we are going to see more of this going forward because we're going to have the arena Mythic Championships. Yeah. And I have to assume that they're going to do them in a really similar way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah I'm assuming that this is not something that they're going to want to stop doing. It sounds like it was a success. So, yeah. Hard I'm, to, sure we'll, I'm sure we'll see more of it. Hard to see it as anything else i mean certainly the fact that there was just a million dollars on the line yeah was part of what brought people in right. and we're not going to quite have that in the future and you know and i did see the payoff of having that big price tag on the mm-hmm. on the price payout working because i saw mythic invitational magic the gathering arena tournament on like other news sources mm-hmm. right like outside of my like magic sphere of yeah uh, of what i consume on the internet like i was just like seeing it pop up every once in a while just like on like you know, normal news sites of like, hey, right. check this out. This person just won a quarter of a million dollars playing Magic Arena. And people are like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, So perfect. And I can't 
I can't be unhappy with Andrea Mangucci winning. Mangu, yeah, yeah, no, perfect. I was so excited, and honestly, uh, the top four was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I I would have been happy with any of those yeah. players winning it. Great mix. Yeah, um, like Savage just played. You know, sometimes once in a while I would watch him and he'd make a play and I'd think, okay, that's maybe not what I would do there. But like mostly like played at an extremely high level, was keeping up with the MPL uh, players and and just was able to show off quite a bit. Yeah, no, it was great. I was really happy to see him do well. And also he kind of like came with a kind of the streamer personality that I, I think that they were hoping to kind of highlight there where he was like personable he you know enjoyed talking in between rounds and stuff it was great yeah Strasky always on the cusp of quitting magic and always yeah oh yeah having right. something great happened well to he him. he is gonna quit now right because he didn't win the event obviously <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, well rip yeah um yeah no always always good to see him do well i saw on twitter that mangu needed a new computer but oh before yeah for the tournament at some point, a couple of weeks before the Invitational, HP added a computer to right. the prize for the first for to the first place prize. Just so only. He, so he just <laughs> what am I? <laughs> he just held off on getting a new computer just in case he won the whole tournament. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. So so good job for him. All right. So uh, all of that part of the tournament was great. The coverage was great. The format. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Invitational style tournaments in general but the fact that this was half mpl players who absolutely earned their way there mm-hmm. and then half people to draw on an audience i thought it felt like a better mix to me than like the 16 man hearthstone tournaments when that when competitive hearthstone first was a thing those yeah. were never interesting to me yeah, and this for sure this was much more as far as the games themselves though i think the <laughs> the only interesting ones for me were the esper mirrors those were the games that I felt had the most like play to mm-hmm. them. Everything else, everybody had put in the work to figure out exactly what they needed to do in each scenario that was going to come up. Like, yeah. all right, Mono White against Esper. We know what needs to happen for Esper to win, and we know what needs to happen for Mono White to win. Yep. And and you know, it's just it, it was just and uh, the players we... also needed to know how like also did know how to execute those scenarios very well. So I I definitely don't think that the format could be played again i think that mm-hmm. you know because of this tournament it best of one in current standard is pretty Solved. figured out yeah. at this point which is kind of a bummer but also i think was just fine for single tournament uh for one tournament yeah you know um it the metagame did feel a lot like hearthstone in that aspect mm-hmm. where you know hearthstone it felt like the big tournaments definitely kind of ground down into you know, we know the archetypes and we know how they interact with each other. And then we're just going to throw those at each other all tournament and see who comes out on top. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not the best. It could definitely <laughs> use some improvement uh, in terms of all that stuff. But it was, I think it was fine for a tournament. Yeah. It's funny that Hearthstone, they, they've introduced a new competitive format where you bring three decks. And they all have to be the same class. And they have to be within like five or eight cards of each other or something like that. So they're basically a main deck and then a side, two sideboarded versions of that deck. Amazing. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, Magic is <laughs> right, yeah. moving over to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely... It was hard to get super invested. And even those Esper Mirrors, a lot of them were decided by who drew more Cry of the Carnariums early. A thought erasure would come down, see that my, see that the opponent had four removal spells and nothing in their hand. Yeah. Resolve to Fairy, and then that's... Right. 
that's the game. Uh, whereas sideboarded Esper mirrors are a lot more interesting. There's Thief of Sanity fights. There's like boarding around that concept, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, yeah, and you know, regarding the whole best of one sideboarded debate uh, for tournaments and stuff, I think that the major fears around the like production side of things mm -hmm. and like the reasons why they didn't want sideboarding was probably because at least in paper tournaments when the players sideboard it's all in the dark yeah. from the from a viewer's standpoint it's like okay now these are post-board games and then the viewers like have have kind of like a vague idea of what that means mm -hmm. but like no context of what's actually going on in the sideboard games yeah but now given that we've seen that arena is a good platform for for publicizing this game mm -hmm. broadcasting this game and specifically with the cardboard live add-ons yeah um that i think are going to be really huge moving forward we can we can reintroduce sideboarding into uh that and figure out like a better way to you know really showcase how the players are sideboarding and have that be part of the spectating yeah and i mean especially like if cardboard live if it's like clickable and now that we're in game two, I can click the deck list and it can show me my the the player sideboarded deck. Like Right, exactly. That would exactly. be very cool. Yeah. Or or if there's like a plugin that like every time a sideboard card comes down, it like highlights it on the screen. It's like, look out, sideboard card. Like he really wanted to draw this one. Like, yeah. No, I mean those are both amazing ideas. And even just like making sure that the commentators right. are because you can just like view each players screens while they're sideboarding mm -hmm. and if the commentators are on top of that and like looking at it right um and then setting up some way like of when they finalize their sideboarding it like shows in out or for like you know i don't know 15 20 seconds on the screen yep i think that would be totally immersive enough for the spectators to be and, in, in, able to get into that. and it, it could be really really educational to have some of these commentators talking about like, okay, this red deck is sideboarding for the mirror. They're bringing in a mountain. That's crazy. Why are they bringing in a mountain? Well, look at what this curve is doing. Like, look at these rekindling phoenixes. Look right. how expensive their deck is now. Like, that's really educational. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you've you been playing Magic for six months or a year or something, and you see a mono red deck, and you it has two mountains in the sideboard. And you're like, what? I don't, like, this is nuts. But to be able to just watch something like that and have somebody explain it. Also, I was really impressed with day nine's level of knowledge of the game itself including like being pretty current on the best of one standard format yeah i mean he did his research yeah. absolutely he was into it he's just he's just a professional and, yeah yeah like no he was he he was great the whole weekend it was it was awesome so i would trust someone like that and then especially anybody who is primarily a magic player right to be able to give these explanations and i think be a really good tool and, and be super interesting to see yeah there were a couple of good games like the one esper mirror uh matt nass versus seth yeah uh that ended like that that teferi emblem was in play for like 15 turns or something <laughs> like that yeah uh and then finally ends with matt nass using up the last assess on more or the, using up the last assess negates Casting a Mastermind's Acquisition, getting Unmoored Ego, Unmoored Egoing for lethal. For, yeah, get all the Teferis out and... <laughs> Draw just, a card because one was in your hand. You're dead. <laughs> right, yeah. No, yeah, that was that game was definitely phenomenal. Yeah. I uh, I really enjoyed it. The other match that really stood out to me was, I think it was the uh, Losers Finals. There was the, the sequence where Canister had lethal burn in his hand. 
Right. Who was he playing against? Savitz? Savitz, yeah. Savitz at the end uh, decided not to tap out for a search for yeah. scan and just go to his upkeep. Just hard read on Just that. a hard read on like having lethal. But it was, I think it was really appropriate and you know, he was able to figure it out based on the no attacks. Yeah. Because I think that the only way that you don't attack there is if you drew three damage and you just want to guarantee your, right. your one. Right. So it was just kind of on the board, but... You but know. it's a good understanding of what... Right. L- level zero understanding of the game is my opponent did something weird. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just going to do my thing. Right. But, you know, you get a little more into it, your opponent does something weird, and you stop, and you go, what does this mean? Right, and, right. And it's cool to watch somebody do that in real time and, and come to the right conclusion. Especially when there's so much on the line. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was just, like, a really awesome sequence that came up. That's It wasn't, like, flashy or anything. Yeah. Um, so, but it was, I think it was the moment that stood out the most for me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, you know... Minguchi's matches were fun, but he just destroyed in all of his top four matches. Yeah, his draws were <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, he was he was games. just coasting, you know? Sometimes you, you're on a roll and you're coasting. He was definitely doing that. He was just destined to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was but, awesome. yeah. His mono-white draw with, like, 30 power on the board by turn four. Yeah, no, just, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely am excited to see more of this kind of stuff in the future. It felt like an eSports tournament it felt like a real production with sponsors behind it that was being put out there as a show Mm -hmm. and not as like you know we're gonna do another pro tour because this is what we do we do pro tours right 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 orienting the whole scene a little more towards consumerism Mm -hmm. which i think is just the future i mean it it has to be it it is an advertisement for the game you need to get an audience for that yeah, advertisement. I'm for it. Um, you know, if we if we if we add sideboarding into it, then I'm <laughs> I'll be happy as a clam. Yeah, yeah. Us old school players, we're like, we got our canes, and we're like, hey, we need our sideboarding back. <laughs> I don't know if it's a crutch or if it's like just a. <laughs> I but I don't know, man. Yes, yeah. it's it's just really important, especially if they ever do a limited one of these. Not having sideboarding and limited is that's non functional. I don't think that you can do that. Yeah. And I mean, like, there's more limited games that I don't sideboard than there are constructed games where I don't sideboard, but it's just really, yeah, like, a part of... Because you have so many C-pluses, and you want to have the right C-pluses in your deck, and... Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's important, for sure. So, yeah. I don't know that I have that much else to say about it. Yeah, same. Trying to think about anything that happened. Fun to watch. There was a lot of fun... Um... War of the Spark stuff in between rounds as well that we right. should uh, we might want to get into the uh, the War of the Spark trailer was yeah. pretty, pretty well talked about. That was yeah, that, and that was a little unfortunate the way that there was no sound for the live stream of the you know the first time that had it. But, they, yeah, they, and the countdowns kind of like so so I don't know if you saw this, but they also had a bunch of streamers doing like countdowns to the trailer. Oh yeah, like they a bunch of people were streaming arena and like counting down to the to the trailer. And then the countdowns would all sort of restart because they weren't quite ready yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then when they were, it came on and then the sound cut off like like 30 seconds in. Mm. So that wasn't great. No. Some definitely some things to improve on there. And and some of the technical stuff about the tournament itself as well. Um being on the max li- floor. Yeah. Hopefully these are just things that their production folks can fix in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the trailer. But the trailer, it was, uh, I thought it was great. I agree. 
it, it made the story of magic feel like a a real thing and not just an ancillary backdrop for a card game. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um and it's the the storyline is something that is a really big part of the whole magic culture for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So like they want to find out like what's happening with these characters and what's going on next. And I think that they've been doing a better and better job of like advertising all of that mm-hmm. so that more people can like kind of become invested in the you know Nicol Bolas versus the Gatewatch mm-hmm. kind of deal that's happening right now. And yeah, I think the trailer did a phenomenal job kind of adding just kind of context, like context, yeah. Yeah, context the phrase I'm looking for isn't going to make any sense, but like emotional, um, yeah, resonance, yeah, resonance to to the storyline. It was it was very uh, you know emotional. I so I have found myself connecting to some of the cards that have been spoiled in a mm-hmm. different way. When I was looking at most of the uh, Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Legions cards, I'm just looking them. I'm just looking at them as game pieces. Yeah. When I was looking at these cards, though, mostly because of that trailer. Right. So I'm seeing, like, these Dreadhorde cards. And there was, like, a little response inside of me that was, like, I don't really want to play with these guys. Like, these guys <laughs> are, are terrible. They're bad. They're so evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, like, they're... And it's just, like, a super weird response for me to have to cards in this game that I've just been treating as a strategy game yeah. for so long. Right. But, yeah, just the way that they're... You know, good storytelling involves making your audience really invested in individual characters. Mm -hmm. Um, And to focus that entire trailer on Liliana like that and to reference, you know, a backstory thing here where her brother died when she was very young and, and seeing a similar scene happen, like causes her to make this huge decision and you know all of her decisions are based this is backstory that you have to know outside of the trailer but like all of her decisions have been based on trying to live forever because she's actually terrified of death and then to make that decision that like upends all of that stuff and you see her make it and then you're like i actually i'm starting to care about this right and this is just a way that we communicate now like like stories are cool a lot of the magic stories are not written at a level at which I really want to consume them. Sure. You know, we had a Brandon Sanderson one, so that's awesome. Yeah. Some of the pieces have been really good. I uh, actually cried a little bit when I read the uh, Alicia Who Smiles at Death short story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But most of them have not been that strong. And then to be able to put something like this out in a very consumable format with high production values that looks really good, it, it feels like a sea change to me. Magic movie coming up? Netflix series? <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd be in for any of those yeah. for sure. I uh, I feel like I'm still pretty bad at bad about, you know, I, I still view all the cards as, as oh, game pieces. Yeah. yeah. Pretty, you know, pretty hardcore. Like, I, I don't really, like, I, I use the picture to recognize what the card is <laughs> when I'm looking at it. But if you ask me, like, what's in that picture, I would never be able to tell you. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, Ugly uh, Phoenix in my head is just, like, purple. Yeah. <laughs> purple. And a little bit of red. Yeah. Uh, it's cool. And I think that this is a, a, you know, it's a big element of magic that people enjoy. So I'm, I'm happy to see that it's uh, yeah getting, um, you know. Yeah. Um, spotlight. Also helped that this trailer used a really nice cover of 
a Lincoln Park song that I listened to probably ten thousand times when I was thirteen years <laughs> yeah, old. So yeah, yeah, it really it really hit at their uh, target audience age. I think of some nostalgia. Listen, I did two things in middle school. I played Magic and I listened to Lincoln Park. Uh-huh. So. Oh wow, <laughs> nailed it, knocked it out of the park. So what? Yeah, this yeah. is just the perfect thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Really good stuff. Like, it felt like a thing that Magic has been missing. Uh, yeah. Just a, a presentation that, like, makes it real in a way that, like, the semi-animated card arts that they use between... Yeah. Like, do, do, they, they don't really hit that the way that this, this full motion video does. So, yeah, I would love to see more of this in the future. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, should we talk about some cards? Yeah, so a lot of spoilers. Yeah. Definitely some interesting ones. The uh, the big thing with this new set is Planeswalkers, of course. Yes. There are So there are, what, 37, 30... I thought it was 36, but maybe there's like a secret one There or was like... Oh, the, um, the uh, Buy Box promo oh. is going to be, I think, Standard Legal and okay. a Planeswalker. Oh, okay. That's kind of where I got that 37 number from. Gotcha. But, but yeah, so... Yeah, so we should talk about the Planeswalkers first. Mythic yeah. Rare, three Mythic Rares, ten Rares, the re- 13 Commons, or Uncommons, rather. That only adds up to 26, right? Anyways. All right, my numbers are way off. So whatever it is. A, a lot, oh yeah, a lot of, the point is that there's going to be multiple rarities of Planeswalkers yes. in this new set. Which is pretty cool, because they're going to be able to mess around with design space for Planeswalkers that aren't completely game-changing or whatever just like normal uncommon power level cards that are in planeswalker form it's amazing the way that not having an ultimate changes like the perception of a planeswalker on the battlefield yeah yeah not having an ultimate is definitely limits the danger of of presenting that card um also there are several that don't have any plus abilities yeah which also inhibits the um the kind of like brokenness of uh this is just like you no longer have access to infinite resource through through this card which is kind of always the problem with the other planeswalkers and the reasons that you just have to go after planeswalkers every time they're on the board because they're just they represent this recurring value right. engine. Recurring in, value plus like a ticking time bomb of like yeah. the game ends if right. you let it get to this one. So yep. so most of the uncommon planeswalkers I think all of the uncommon planeswalkers are like this. They so so we've introduced like static and triggered abilities on planeswalkers. Yes. Um that was the other big thing for sure. And so the uncommon ones mostly are one static or triggered ability and a minus. So we like we've got a Tybalt. We've got Tybalt. Tybalt's back. Rakish Instigator. Yeah. A lot better. Yeah. <laughs> Not it, particularly I mean, great, but playable. In, yeah, it's a, limited at it's least. A, it's a playable limited card. <laughs> and that's I think that that's where they wanted to end up with for these, these uncommon, uncommon ones. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. This is two and a red. It's got five loyalty. Your opponents can't gain life. Minus two, create a one one red devil creature token with when this creature dies, deals one damage to any target. So nice like throwback to Innistrad, his plane of origin, which used these devil tokens. Similar, we have like Jing, Yangu, Wildcrafter, two and a green for a three loyalty planeswalker. Each creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it has tap, add one mana of any color, and his minus one is put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of enchantments that can be attacked and also give you a little bit of value over the course of a couple of turns. Yeah. Which is, for an uncommon, just like a totally fine, interesting design space that we haven't seen before. They just do something different. Yeah, absolutely. 
And, you know, these cards are kind of reminiscent of, like, other, like, creatures that we've had. Like, uh, I think uh, Jing Yang Gu is kind of similar to Rishkar a little sure. bit. So we kind of, like, can understand some of these play patterns. Mm-hmm. And there, I think that uh, this Planeswalker might even be a little worse than Rishkar was. But, I think, yeah, significantly um, worse. But I think that that just kind of goes to show that the power level is pretty well suited for an uncommon. Yeah. And I think that that gives me high hopes for this limited format in that I think that the design space for these uncommon ones, if, if it sounds like they've fit in pretty well into something that's going to be reasonable. Yeah. Um, which is kind of like the fear that I think everybody had when we heard, you know, 36 planeswalkers in this set. It was like, oh, no, it's limited, going to be ruined. Or, right. But, I, you know, I, I think that it, it's going to work out really well. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be different from pretty much any limited format we've ever played mm-hmm. because it's going to be so focused on I, I, or at least you'll be able to get a sizable advantage by focusing your deck on being able to put creatures in play that can get through for damage yeah and even if it's not getting through for 20 damage you get value by cutting short their use of their uncommon planeswalkers right um but again you're not under that pressure of like i put a five mana planeswalker into play and if you don't kill it in two turns like that means you lose you lose (laughs) right yeah definitely a bummer yeah, and, and we're seeing, you know, stuff like Giant Growth got spoiled. This is just one of the best common combat tricks of all time, and that's, yep. I think, going to be a super valuable type of effect to have in your deck. Yeah, especially, you know, if you, things are going to turn out exactly how you just said, where it's really important to be able to get in that damage on these Planeswalkers, mm-hmm. using a Giant Growth to Lightning Bolt a Planeswalker effectively sure. could be strong, or even just, like, if it's important to attack and or defend... Uh, and that's kind of what the games come down to. Tricks become really valuable. Yeah. So I definitely think the giant growth is going to be uh, very strong. Yeah. And I like, you know, combat-oriented limited formats that aren't necessarily about killing your opponent on turn five. Yeah. Like, that's a cool way. It, it's hard to put a limited format into that direction, and these Planeswalkers are a neat way of doing that. Yeah. And so much of the skill in Limited comes in attacks and blocks. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, if you know how to do attacks and blocks better than your opponent, you have a significant edge in the games. So I think that this style of design for a set is definitely doing a lot to kind of like increase the potential for your skill advantage to be amplified. Yeah, especially um, if there's like two Planeswalkers in play. If there's if your opponent has two Planeswalkers and you have a Planeswalker, mm-hmm. figuring out which creatures to attack with, which creatures to leave back, and which of the three options to attack with each of those creatures, there's a lot of combinations there and it's hard to get it right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that makes me excited. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I guess we should talk about some of the exciting individual cards. I've pulled out a couple. Yeah. Some more have been spoiled since I pulled them out. Um, I guess we should try not to talk about cards that haven't been officially spoiled, but it's not always super clear because they don't get added to the official thing yeah. that quickly. Right. I do want to talk about Dreadhorde Butcher. Uh, so this is a black and a red for a 1-1 haste. Whenever Zombie Warrior, whenever Dreadhorde Butcher deals combat damage to a player or Planeswalker, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. When it dies, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. So it's kind of like Firewalker or Slith Firewalker from Mirrodin, yeah. which was just a 1-1 haste that got a, a plus one, plus one counter when it hit a player, um, which is like a very medium card. Yeah. And definitely outmoded by now. This card, to me, though, I think is significantly better in enough ways that I'm actively excited to play with it. 
so it plays I, I mean number one just the normal play pattern against like a control deck if you put it into play hit them with it hit them with it again then they remove it they've taken six off of it right which is perfect great for a two mana creature yeah um that's a pretty you know decent outcome you're glad if your cards line up that way and they have to like mortify your two drop or something like that and it is vulnerable to a moment of craving type effects but in general i think it's pretty strong against decks without blockers uh, against decks that do have creatures i think it's a huge upgrade over something like you know a slith fire walker type card because like if my opponent's playing white weenie i can play this on turn two and just not attack yeah and then they can't attack it, me until almost, they... yeah it represents two cards yeah and it's really good with like pump spells and stuff. If you know my opponent blocks this and I collision colossus it, uh, and then to if it, trade with their guy and yeah. then kill their other guy or yeah. lava axe them or whatever, <laughs> sure. Um, it also uh, is insane with Judith. Yes, if they're trying to block like this trades with no counters on this. If you play this on, I mean, if it has like one counter on it and you hit them. You hit them on turn two, and then you play a Judith on turn three. It can kill like a seven toughness creature. Or something. <laughs> yeah, like, something crazy. Yeah, because it's what it's two, three. Yeah, it'd be, it'd so it'd be three power twice, and then the one damage the one from thing. the Judith trigger. Yeah. So it 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 will trade with anything basically if you have a Judith in play. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah. Also, it is a warrior and a zombie, and I think that those are both pretty relevant for unclaimed territory purposes yeah whether you want to put this in a chain whirler deck or a gutter bones deck or is gutter bones a skeleton gutter bones is definitely I a skeleton think, i think it, it, it might be a skeleton warrior. warrior yeah yeah so gutter bones is a skeleton warrior so i i think that it's very possible that these creature types are good i like this card yeah um i think it's i, I think it's definitely good the thing i don't like about it the most is how big of a difference the power level the card has on the play versus the draw sure and there's not really much getting around that in if you're trying to explore this kind of design space it's just always going to be way better in the play mm -hmm. but um just kind of like generalizing a little bit I, I you know i'm not as much of a fan of cards that it's like an a on the play sometimes mm -hmm. and but it could also be just like a c minus on the on the draw and that like differential is kind of a feel bad i think that we should be doing more in design space to try to um limit close the gap yeah. limit variants like that mm -hmm. that is based on pure random statistics like die rolls and stuff yeah that's what like my tiny like little nitpick on it but i think it's a good card for sure i i also think the death trigger makes it less you know you play like a a slith firewalker on the draw and they played a two drop and you're just like okay i'm never attacking with this guy this this <laughs> yeah if if they play any of the two drops that are seeing play in standard this can attack and trade with it on turn two yeah except for uh, a thorn lieutenant basically um right but you know they'd have to have played like a zerta goblin as a three three and not attack with it or something like that for this not to trade with it and I think you can build your deck to make up for that. If your deck just also has four Judiths in it, then whatever turn it is, this can attack. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense for sure. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. There's a, there's a lot of variance there. Yep. Yeah, and, you know, maybe maybe I'm just like overthinking that in my mind, but. Um, yeah. I mean, this is also kind of the kind of card, just like the black red two drop with like a bunch of abilities. That in general is a card that like often looks very good and then uh, ends up not being months at all. later. It's <laughs> right. just like, why do I have all of these? Yes. Right. 
what was the uh it was like the three one haste card <laughs> the rectos there was spike jester spike that's the card I'm just the three one haste yeah for it's two. just a three one haste for two yeah black red uh, get him. And that card, I was always like, oh, this is amazing. And it was always just a 3-1 for 2. It's like, fine. Um, but it really, you know, it really got me in my in my Rakdos genes. Right. Like, oh yeah, yes. we're gonna get him dead. Uh, so very different card yeah. next. Um, so Teferi Time Raveler is the Teferi Planeswalker of the set. Uh, it's 3 mana, 1, a blue, and a white. For a four mana or four four loyalty planeswalker, the static ability is each opponent can't cast or each opponent can cast spells only any time they can cast a sorcery. Mm-hmm. So it turns off instant speeds. A plus one of until your next turn, you may cast sorcery spells as though they had flash. And a minus three of return up to one target artifact, creature, or enchantment to its owner's hand, and you draw a card. So this card seems really strong. To me. It does. The just the play pattern of three mana. Play Teferi, bounce your thing, draw a card. That could have been it for a, a, like a <laughs> solid card, right? That could, but now we have a Planeswalker on the board that can that says that all of your stuff is uncounterable. Mm-hmm. Your if your opponent's playing control, they're gonna have a really hard time getting this off the board. So that's the thing. I think this really kind of by its existence is gonna weaken a lot of the control decks because yeah. you're like forced to run this because you can't be the only one in a control mirror without teferi time raveler in your deck right you're just gonna lose you don't get to cast any of the counter spells in your deck which are the best spells in your deck right um interesting rules question mm-hmm. both players have teferi time raveler out mm-hmm. and they've both plussed yes can they cast counter spells generally can't beats ken if yeah. two card effects are if one is enabling a thing and one is disabling a thing right the can't usually wins but the wording here is i want to i want to really get mm-hmm. focused on this the wording here is weird uh each opponent can cast spells only any time they could cast a sorcery yep there's no like can't there yeah and then the plus says, until your next turn, you may cast sorcery spells as though they had flash. Right. So the times that you're allowed to cast a sorcery are whenever, because you can cast. I think I, th- I think I, the definition of when you can cast a sorcery doesn't yeah. get changed here. It's just, yeah, that is weird wording, though. We're, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think that we're probably going to have to wait for some sort of clarity yeah. or clarification on this, because as it reads... yeah. I would argue that you can <laughs> cast your instance at instant speed if you if you have plussed your Teferi Time Raveler and your opponent has one out. Yeah, I think you can't, but I would right. also call a judge. Yeah, okay. I would not be certain. Um, yeah, if if it if it's true that you can't, mm-hmm. I'm upset with the wording on this card. <laughs> yeah, I would. I think that it would be awesome design if you can and that was on purpose mm-hmm. because that's how it reads to me right he's a naval yeah no i i totally get what you're saying yeah but basically i think this is really huge in those control mirrors i think it costs the cost is low enough in your like as a card in your deck mm-hmm. um against any mid-range deck like it just comes down and like bounces a three mana thing and then they probably have to waste some damage on it or else it threatens to like do it again in a little while right um and takes away any of their like end of turn do a thing to tax your mana shenanigans you uh, can't ever just frask is content this the turn that they play it yeah you just it's just not You're, a line that you have access to yeah That's, crazy yeah you can't even shock it right like <laughs> yeah. it comes down minuses and you have to untap before you can shock it yeah 
uh, it's very bad against like white weenie. Like you can't spend three mana on effect like yeah, this in yeah, a matchup yeah. like that. It's right. you know not good against the red decks. I think against most of the green decks that you know like Gruel is the standard deck that is like eighty percent of the arena metagame now. I had to stop playing Niv Mizzets. It was really sad. Yeah, but against decks like that, like if somebody's gonna cast a rekindling Phoenix against you, you can just Teferi it back to their hand. Like. This costs you very little in that right. kind of match. You get to draw a card. Yeah, you draw a card. It's just <laughs> repulse with yeah. It's a repulse that also reads like, and if it's a control matchup, like you're not gonna lose the game if you have this card yeah. in play. Right. They can't cast Chemister's Insights on your turn. They have to do it on theirs. Like they can't counter your tef- your big Teferis. It's just I think this card's pretty important. Yeah, I, th- I think it's pretty good. I think it's definitely gonna see play. Yep. Teferi's here to stay. There's just in many forms. Yep. There's going to be like seven Teferi deck, like <laughs> seven X Teferi. We we have Gideon Tribal. Yeah. <laughs> We're close to Teferi Tribal. Um, yeah, for it, sure. Yep. At least, you know, it's not like oppressive and game defining in the way that big Teferi is. So yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's a very different design space. And in general, cards that go into one type of deck and are really good in that mirror are good safety valves on the format to keep a deck like that from being too powerful. Yeah. Because, like, if the Esper deck becomes forced to run four of these, then it becomes a much more exploitable deck by aggro decks in the metagame. So. I can see it, for sure. All right. So this one has gotten a lot of conversation. This is Dreadhorde Invasion. Yes. One in a black. It's an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life and amass one. And amass is you put that many plus one plus one counters on an army you control. If you don't control one, you create a zero zero black army creature token, and then you put the amass counters onto that. Yep. And just for a shortcut, I, I'm assuming for people who aren't familiar with this at all yet, there are no armies outside of the tokens that amass cards create. We certainly haven't seen any. Right. I would assume that that's true. I think so. Yeah. The, like the shortcut mentally that I had to create for these, because I was a little confused at first, mm-hmm. is if you already have your zombie army, it grows it. It's going to grow it. If you don't have one yet, it's going to create one and yeah. make it that much bigger. I think that's pretty much how it plays out, barring like quasi duplicate shenanigans sure. or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, um, I guess quasi duplicating an army is really, really bad because yeah. it's just a zero zero. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, so, so this is like the standout. A mass card to me mm-hmm. that we've seen so far. It's I think it's the most pushed one. Yeah, because it people are kind of comparing it to Bitter Blossom. Mm-hmm. It's true. It does feel that way. You and this also has whenever a zombie token you control with power six or greater attacks against lifelink until end of turn. Very so, relevant for a Bitter Blossom style effect, right? For sure. But it's important to note that this card is not nearly as strong as Bitter Blossom. It's true, but it is strong. You know, and in a standard context, I think that it's. Um, yeah. It's definitely something that people are going to want to play with. As Alex in our Discord pointed out, there is room for a card to be worse than Bitter Blossom and still playable. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, you know, significantly worse than Bitter Blossom. You know, like, after three turns of this in play, you have a trained Armadon versus Bitter Blossom where you have a Spectral Procession. Yeah. Like, that's a big difference. Yeah. Um, I think... And this is also this is also one of those cards that's way worse on the draw than it is on the play. Yeah. And it's also pretty bad if you're getting attacked. 
most of the time, depending right. on what you're getting attacked by. If you're getting attacked by several one-mana creatures very early in the game, you're going to be behind enough on life that it doesn't catch you back up easily. Yep. Um, especially if they take a turn off to Venerated locks it on those creatures or whatever, <laughs> so your token doesn't trade. Yeah. Um, and also, stuff like Gruel Spellbreaker, you know, medium-sized tramplers are very good against this kind of effect. Yep. Where I see the seeing play is... I think it's a fine sideboard card. You know, these like early uh, card advantage, like board present creating uh, cheap cards are very good in control mirrors, depending on how the control decks are built. Mm -hmm. Also, if you can just use it for some sort of synergy based thing, I think it can reach way outside of its like natural power level. Um, and so whether that is some sort of aristocrats deck, because we've seen even more ingredients for an aristocrats deck being spoiled, um, and this gives you a creature to sacrifice every turn, if that's a thing. Um, also, if there are other good amass cards, I think they end up going together very well, because if you get to a point where you can consistently make your zombie have six power relatively quickly and just get that life back, great. then that's pretty powerful. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I do think that the the second level of text is going to probably happen more often than people think, just because there are going to be other amass cards right. that you're going to be playing with. So that it, it does require that you have is going to be growing. Other playable amass cards to yeah, work. Right, for sure. So in a constructed context, that might be less likely. Mm -hmm. It might be more like a standalone value card in the constructed setting. Yeah. And probably not that great in that setting either. I think pretty, pretty but, sideboard or niche yeah, use for yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Not having, you know, it it's kind of silly to keep comparing it to Bitter Blossom because it, Bitter Blossom is irrelevant to this discussion. Right. But a big part of the power level of Bitter Blossom was the ability to split your tokens between attacking and blocking, and also the fact that your tokens were basically unblockable. Um, right. They were able to do a lot more work yep. that way. Also, right. Spell Starter Spread existed, so yeah. that was completely unfair. But... If we see synergies like that with Dreadhorde Invasion, <laughs> not Spellstarter Sprite, but other yeah. amass things that work together. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but, you know, in the concept of, like, Bitter Blossom is good against control decks be that are trying to, like, one-for-one one you a lot, mm -hmm. it, this card still has that in that, you know, it's just, like, if you kill the token over and over again, they're just going to keep on getting right. tokens and that is, you know, it's going to be good there. So You do get a little more value out of your spot removal because you can use up two or three triggers. Yeah, you can, like, wait a couple of right. turns and take some damage and then kill it, and then they're back on square one. Yeah, of course. But it is that, like, constantly grinding thing. Yeah. And, and that tends to be pretty good against control decks. Um, although, you know, control decks are running a lot of mortifies these days. So. True. <laughs> yeah. This one is really sweet. I, I'm excited about this next this card. It... <laughs> It's kind of, I'm kind of sad, too, because it might be true that this next card is, like, very unplayable in all contexts. It's either unplayable or just busted, right? All right, well, let's talk about it. So it's Bolus's Citadel. So it's a six-mana legendary artifact. It's three black, black, black. <laughs> um, it says you may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may play the top card of your library. If you cast a spell this way, pay life equal to its converted mana cost rather than pay its mana cost. It also has another ability at the bottom. <laughs> uh, you can tap it and sacrifice 10 non-land permanents to have each opponent lose 10 life. So built-in win condition in your weird card advantage engine right. card. Yeah. If we have a bunch of, like, 
like so trying to fit it in like a, a standard shell or like a, even a modern shell mm-hmm. you could have this in like a bunch of zeros in your deck and try to like play like ornithopters and memnites and then sack a bunch of things and then pay six life for your next citadel and try to go more but that doesn't seem very realistic yeah um because you know as anybody who's played experimental frenzy knows that if you ever hit a land pocket it's you're done yeah and the same is true for this card and this seems mostly worse than experimental frenzy in just like an affinity deck oh yeah for sure absolutely the Context that I'm excited for it for is in Legacy Storm. Okay. Because it works really, really well with Tendrils of Agony. You it's can... just like a better ad nauseum, isn't it? Well, the land pockets. Yeah, the land pockets. All but, right, fair. So the land pockets is what has me nervous. Sure. But if you are just like paying one life for brainstorms and ponders mm-hmm. and preordains and all the stuff right. as you go through your deck... Yeah, you may be able to just it, push those out It of the might way. be true that it ends up being better than Anosium. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's not unrealistic. And I like the concept of being able to just, like, have maybe multiple copies of Tendrils in your deck and, like, you know, dig to one, pay for life, hit it, go back up to a reasonable amount of life so that you can continue paying one life for all of your cantrips to dig to the next one. Mm-hmm. That kind of idea is, like, what I'm hoping ends up being good. Okay. I, I this is all pure, sure. you know, speculation, but it's kind of what I thought about when I read this card. Well, and I mean, honestly, even in like standard, I think there's ways if you're running a, if you're playing a deck that like wants a bunch of revitalizes and stuff anyways, mm-hmm. then each one of those you flip with this is plus one life plus a card, you know, the next just card. lets you yep. keep going. Removing the mana cost from cards on future site, like there oh, it's has scary. to be some way to break this. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No, for sure. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but like this is just a. There's a lot of power here, and yeah, it costs six mana, but then it refunds a lot of that right mana. And something that could actually help with those land pockets is um, if you are going the route of like revitalize, mm-hmm. and there's like another. Three mana one that gains four life and draws a ritual of rejuvenation. Yeah, something like that. Those are instants. Yeah. So you can you can put it on the stack. See the next card at top of your library. If it's a land, you can let the instant resolve and it draws it. And if it's not a land, you can potentially cast it again. So there's like some ways of potentially going off and with that like kind of tight sequencing that are kind of appealing to me. I don't know if any of this is yeah. good, but... Um, well, and those are cards that also want to be in a Lich's Mastery deck, and I wonder... Like, that's a lot of three black, 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 do-nothing <laughs> cards in True. one deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, who knows what kind of wild... I mean, you know, we get Aliantrazi on this. I was just about to say, we're, we can just wait for Aliantrazi to build us something that's probably... He's probably going to win in an IQ or two with, you know. So I, I do want to point out one kind of enabler card for this sort of thing mm-hmm. um and i had misread this and i didn't realize exactly how it was worded so this is single combat this is three and two white for a sorcery each player chooses a creature or planeswalker they control then sacrifices the rest players can't cast creature or planeswalker spells until the end of your next turn so this is a five mana sorcery you cast it you each keep one thing. Yeah. Your opponent can't cast creatures or planeswalkers. Yeah. Then on your turn, you can't cast creatures or planeswalkers. Then on their turn, things go back to normal again. Yeah. 
What you can cast on that turn, though, is giant artifacts and enchantments. <laughs> yeah. It is, like, weird to set up. If this were just a pure wrath and then that effect, mm-hmm. then I think it would be really bonkers for setting up, like, the Immortal Sun or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does require you to have something in play that's, you know, as good as the one something your opponent has in play. So, you know, whether that's like a rekindling phoenix or a planeswalker that like keeps one creature shut down or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But that this is a thing that enables like a six mana do nothing card advantage generator thing yeah in exactly the right kind of deck i guess you if you're doing the immortal sun you don't want your thing you keep in play to be a planeswalker but (laughs) right right. you you know whatever for sure also kind of while we're here shout outs to lee for shot calling Um, (laughs) actually (laughs) calling hard calling stone the great creator yeah 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 um that was hilarious yeah and we were we were definitely laughing about it in the discord um <laughs> but uh yeah when when lee mentioned that he was like oh yeah these planeswalkers are gonna have static abilities and we were like oh what's an example of a static ability and he just like re- reads off verbatim one of the actual cards that ends up being spoiled um, yeah stony silence planeswalker but yeah I, I think and then he said but you know not stony silence obviously. oh but yeah but not, uh, no, anything but that clearly <laughs> yeah yeah amazing uh, yeah, so Karn's pretty cool. Uh, four uh, generic mana, four loyalty. Activated abilities of artifacts your opponent's control can't be activated. Notice how that ability is worded. It doesn't say non-mana abilities. Mm-hmm. Mycosynth Lattice spiked when Karn got spoiled. Oh. This is a six mana artifact that makes all permanence artifacts. Uh, so this means that your opponent can't tap their lands for mana anymore if you have that particular combo. How much play. mana is that? It's like six That's mana. A okay. It's a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. a, a ten mana combo. Uh, <laughs> but because of his abilities, plus one until your next turn, up to one target non-creature artifact becomes an artifact creature with power and toughness each equal to his converted mana cost, whatever. Minus two, you may choose an artifact card you own from outside the game or in exile, reveal that card, and put it into your hand. So if this were good enough to see play in a format where Mycosynth Lattice is also legal, you, you just, just find it. You just want one in your sideboard. Yeah. Because if you untap with this and have six mana, then you play it and your opponent can't cast spells. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so Yeah. No, I mean built-in synergy right there. That's kind of ridiculous. It's something. I mean, this is, you know, four mana planeswalkers in modern are re- it's a really high bar. And this mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe this is a Stony Silence effect that's, like, kind of... He's four mana, which is a lot more than you want to pay for Stony Silence, but... Yeah. Affinity's got you pretty close to dead by that point. Yeah. And they probably don't even need to activate any more artifacts to kill yeah, you. Yeah, they've already you, got After the... you tap out for your Karn. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But the fact that he gets the Mycosynth Lattice is, like, pretty gross. I don't know. Like... It's interesting, for sure, at least. Yeah, I mean, you know, is uh, minus two to find a card to pay six mana to win the game good enough for your four mana Planeswalker? Right, maybe. Maybe. We don't... If the rest of your deck is just, like, mana and stuff to keep you alive, and then you do this, and... Maybe. So it's a crazy. This is us when we're trying to evaluate something that we have like no prior context to. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And it doesn't deal with boards at all. You know, if you're playing against like Phoenix and they just have two Phoenixes in play, and you're like, "Well, I could get a Mycosynth Lattice and Uh, yeah, keep your activated abilities from working." It sounds like you'd have to have that combo in like a pretty hard control shell of like, okay, we've stabilized the game. 
now I can do my game winning combo. Yeah. Um, that is handily wrapped up in this one four mana card that I have. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. And certainly like pretty crushing in like control mirrors. If you have ways of forcing this stuff through, if they don't like have a board and you just do it. Yeah. That's, that's it. Right. Um, speaking of game ending combos, we have a standard one. I thought you were going to do Bolas's ultimate. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's fine. Jeez. Okay, yeah. Can we talk about Nicole Bolas' Dragon God a little bit? Yeah. This is just the, like, the most Obnixilist of all Obnixilist Planeswalkers yes. ever printed. It's just, right. like... Well, just all of the Grixis Planeswalkers have had this text. Yeah. And now we just have a Grixis Planeswalker that's just this text. Okay, so if I told you we were getting a Planeswalker that was five mana, four loyalty, mm -hmm. plus one draw a card, uh -huh. minus three kill something in play, oh, okay. minus eight win the game. Oh. This is literally what this card is. <laughs> yeah. This is just Obnicholas. Yeah. Uh, plus one, you draw a card. Each opponent exiles a card from their hand or permanent they control. A little better than draw card. A little, yeah. I'd not I'd a say ton. significantly better than draw card. Yeah, but like they get to choose any of their resources and get rid of it. If they were going to be able to like kill this on their next turn, they'll still be able to yeah. kill it. On it's their a resource. Next turn. It's a two for one. Um, minus three. Oh, this got this card costs blue, black, 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 red. By the way, so it's yeah. a blue and a red off of cruel ultimatum. So right. It's, but we can do this kind of mana cost yeah. standard. Uh, minus three, destroy target creature or planeswalker. Minus eight. Each opponent that doesn't control a legendary creature or planeswalker loses the game. What a boring <laughs> ultimate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess but, they just wanted to really solidify that, you know, oh, no, actually the game is going to be over. Yes. Right. Um, Sometimes you ultimate and you're like, oh, does that mean that I get to win now? And it's like, yeah, you do. But you get to, like, have a little fun with it. But this Nicobolus isn't here for fun. He's just going to end the game. And his... His, I guess his coolness points mostly go into the static ability, which is Nicole Bolas, Dragon God, has all loyalty abilities of all other planeswalkers on the battlefield. Yeah, I, I, think, that that, I think that adds enough spice to it yeah. to make it worth. I think you're rarely going to use other... So if your opponent has any planeswalkers in play, mm -hmm. rather than you being able to do the thing that their planeswalker is doing, you would rather just minus three to kill their planeswalker so right. you're the only one with a planeswalker in play. Yeah. If you have another Planeswalker in play, maybe its plus is slightly better and is getting you towards the win the game ultimate, but then you yeah, got two Planeswalkers right. in play. Congratulations. Like, you, you, you did, did it. it. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. I mean, I guess nowadays, some of these Planeswalkers are not, you know, you might have a three mana, like, accruing s slight advantage over a yeah. couple of turns Planeswalker. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little different in this new world. But honestly, like, this is just the... Most Obnixilius of all the Obnixilis Planeswalkers. Yeah. So I'm well, not a huge fan. It is powerful. The pockets of all Grixis, Nicol, Bolas decks that exist on Arena are just going to exist even more on mm -hmm. Arena. They'll yeah. just have a four-mana Nicol, Bolas, and a five-mana Nicol, Bolas. Right. So. And a seven-mana Nicol, Bolas. And a seven-mana Nicol, Bolas. Nicol, Bolas Tribal. We can do it. Yeah. I mean, with all these new Planeswalkers, all the tribal decks are getting a lot more... Uh, all the tribal Planeswalker decks are getting a lot more stuff. Listen, all removal and a bunch of Planeswalkers with the same type line is probably a fine deck. You did it. It's great. <laughs> right. Yeah, good job. Um, but, but honestly, what a fun first deck that somebody builds. Yeah, totally. I'm in for it. Yeah. like, And when you get to minus eight it and it's just you win the game, like, I'm sure that feels good. Oh, yeah. yeah. I do... So the card I was going to talk about for win the game 
combos mm -hmm. is Ral Storm Conduit. So okay. have you seen this combo yet? No. Okay. So Ral Storm Conduit is two, a blue, and a red for a four loyalty Planeswalker. His triggered ability is whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, Ral Storm Conduit deals one damage to target opponent or Planeswalker. Plus two is scry one. Minus two, when you cast your next instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell, you may choose new targets for the copy. So the infinite combo is actually entirely reliant on the triggered ability, as okay. infinite combos often are. Excellent. Um, any spell on the stack, you cast expansion targeting it, and then you cast expansion targeting your first expansion. Oh. And you let the second expansion resolve. It copies expansion, becomes an expansion. You target the first expansion again, and you just keep copying the first expansion over and over again, and you deal infinite damage. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. This is kind of... Um, it makes me a little nervous because that's it's like a little scary. That's like expanding uh, explosion our guardian. It, a little bit feels like it might be a mistake kind of deal. It's a little tougher. I mean, it requires double of one of the combo pieces to do. Oh, it requires two expansions. To yes, work? yes, okay. yes. I'm no longer worried. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not. Yeah, it's not just cast a spell and cast expansion with yeah. this in play. It's cast okay. a spell, cast two expansions. Okay, all right. In if, that case, I'm I'm not really worried at all. If your opponent has a Ral in play. Mm -hmm. Never cast expansion on anything. <laughs> yeah. Because that's all it takes to combo off. They can is get you. Getting yeah. you with that with their expansion. Hilarious. So be real, real careful about that. Right. I So fortunately I don't think that the Planeswalker itself is particularly good. I think it's probably similar power level to Sahili Rai. Mm -hmm. I mean it costs four mana, but you get a little more out of it. It's minus two actually does let you copy a lava coil or something like that. Right. Um and that's not bad. And it feels very similar to Sealy Rai. Yeah. And it, his triggered ability does target planeswalkers, can target planeswalkers. So if your opponent has a planeswalker out and you use Ral to copy a lava coil, then you get to double ping their, their planeswalker, which is like a fine effect in play. Like this is yeah. not a card that you would likely play without the fact that it can just win the game sometimes, mm -hmm. but it can just win the game sometimes. It feels to me like a... Solid, limited, rare. Mm -hmm. That's my evaluation of it so far. I, I think that would be true, except that it combos with a card that we already kind of want to play four of in this kind of deck. Yeah. And, and the fact that you need two of that card is a huge difference from a, a two-card combo, and, and that's absolutely true. But I, I just... I think we will be seeing this. I don't think it's quite as scary as some of Magic Twitter would have you believe. Yeah, yeah. I think well, when I heard that it's it's a three card combo, mm -hmm. three card combos are significant, much harder, uh, significantly less oppressive than um, yep than two card combos like Felder Guardian and Sealy. For sure, for sure. So I'm I'm pretty not worried about that anymore. Yeah, I don't um, think it'll do anything terrible to the format but i think that it will i think games will be won in serious games of standard by this combo happening i could for sure yeah the the difficulty for that happening though is that people determine that this card is like strong enough on its own to justify putting in your constructed deck yeah which is probably going to be the part that might not come true yeah i mean i think it is a cost yeah um and and i think it would not make your deck except that the percentage points from the combo existing right. make the difference for you. It could. Yeah. But yeah, so just be aware that that exists, I guess. Right. Um, for sure. Um, 
couple more that I want to talk about. I'm pretty excited for Liliana Dreadhorde General. This is four and two black for a six loyalty planeswalker uh, that I think meets the bar for a six mana planeswalker. Yeah. Um, her triggered ability is whenever a creature you control dies, draw a card. Plus one, you get a two two black zombie token. Minus four, each player sacrifices two creatures. Minus nine, each opponent chooses a permanent they control of each permanent type and sacrifices the rest. So minus nine wins the game. <laughs> yep. But I think really key is that her minus four is a like board clearing effect. She reminds me a lot of Chandra Flamecaller in that regard. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the minus four is really, really powerful as the good planeswalkers need the ability to protect themselves in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and this minus four to me feels like it fits that criteria. Yeah. The board you... can be pretty out of control and she comes down and it's like much better for like, then they can't attack her. So, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, uh, one of the good things about the minus four as well is that her static ability is whenever a creature you control dies, you draw a card. Mm-hmm. So the minus four, even if you do have creatures and have to sacrifice them, you're still recouping that value by, yeah. um, getting to draw a card for each of each, each one that you, uh, have to sacrifice. Yeah. So I, I like that kind of built in synergy there. Yeah. So it, it does, it does kind of fit the bill for the power level for me. And generally I think she's mostly going to go into low creature count decks. Probably. Um, and, but then she still has synergy with that triggered ability because her plus one is you very much like drawing, you like make a 2 2 draw mm-hmm. card because yeah. it's got that your opponent death has to have a lot of creatures in play for this not to have uh, that big of an impact. Because if they have one creature, you can just be like, plus, they yeah. get a dude, I'll chump block and draw a card. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> she also goes up to seven when you do that. Right. Which is, it's a lot of loyal. Pretty loyal. Yeah. Yeah. How, very loyal. I like this card a lot. I yep. think that it's it's definitely pushed, and I think it's going to see some play. Yeah. And it comes down in a control matchup, and just, like, it will win the game in a couple of turns, and on the way there, it's going to make tokens that they also then have to deal with. And yeah. That's, that's very powerful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this is, you know, depends on what types of threats you're facing off, whether you want to, like, play this over... You know, Vraska Relic Seeker. I think generally this is more powerful than Vraska Relic Seeker, which is it's a big statement. A card that has seen plenty of play. Yeah, I'm not sold that it's better than Vraska Relic Seeker, but I I could see it seeing more play just because it's not two colors. It's yeah. just you can play it in like an Esper deck or something. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I mean, like one reason why you know Vraska Relic Seeker has felt a little bit extraneous sometimes because part of her value comes from being able to deal with artifacts and enchantments. Yeah. And since you have Vivian anyways, that becomes yeah. less important. Yeah. Um, and so we've seen it get pretty much just cut from the Sultai decks. Right. I mean, also, Hydrid Crisis is filling that six mana slot, blah, blah, blah. But um, Liliana contributes a different thing than we really have access to with the other Planeswalkers. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a new, unique effect for sure. Yeah. We got a Diabolic Edict. With Some marginal upside as well. Yes. Well, in in like a standard format, even even like a modern format, one right. in a black, Leonis Triumph, instant. Each opponent sacrifices a creature. If you control Liliana Planeswalker, each opponent also discards a card. Gets around ley lines, which, I mean, ley line matchup, the edicts aren't that great against like boggles because they can always counter it with a fetch land for yeah. uh, Dryad Arbor, but still reasonable upside and in a format you know if you wanted an edict in your deck that was already running like four Lilianas of the Veil 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess you don't because they are edicts. So. <laughs> but if you want to turn Last Hope and some edicts, I don't know. Like, this is going to be, like, a really obnoxious two-for-one sometimes. Yeah. And it's also just... Last Hope is definitely, you know, cutting out at stake, and mm-hmm. you know, especially in Legacy right now. So yeah. I could definitely see it. Yeah. Sometimes this is worse than Diabolic Edict because every once in a while you might want to target yourself with Edict. Um, corner cases, but, like, pr- mostly if your opponent has a GTA out or something. Yeah. Not strictly better. Yeah. But I think generally better yeah absolutely um so that's kind of cool because we haven't had that effect in modern so right it is nice to just have access to it if you need it oh this card is really cool dreadhorde arcanist one in a red for a one three zombie wizard with trample whenever dreadhorde arcanist attacks you may cast target instant or sorcery card with converted mana cost less than or equal to dreadhorde arcanist's power from your graveyard without paying its mana cost if that card would be put into your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. Whenever I see a 1-3 with Trample, I know something sweet's coming. Yeah, there's going to be some weird red there's, ability. Yeah, there's going to be some sweet red card ability that is not really going to make any sense. But, you know, here we are. And here we are again. So on this own, this recasts your Shocks or your Lightning Bolts if we manage to play this in yeah. a modern form. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem super <laughs> likely. Yeah. On its own, it casts your Shocks. It casts your Opts. That's kind of cool. With pump spells, you can cast basically any pump spell on this and then immediately flash it back when you attack. Yeah. So if this were in a green-red deck and you cast Collision Colossus on it and then you just get Colossus back, or you can cast the back half of it if you wanted to entwine the spell. Giant um, growth, baby. But yeah, giant like like the, it is really cool with pump spells. Like yeah. if you cast a Collision on or a Colossus on this and this just attacks for nine, that's neat. Yeah. No, I uh, I definitely like. What what I'm seeing here, for sure. Yeah. It doesn't cast, like, Lightning Strike on its own, mm-hmm. and I think it's probably hard to build a deck that includes like... enough spells that <laughs> this is good, yeah. enough creatures that you want pump effect, like, you know, like, global pump effects or something like that, and then fit those pump effects into your deck mm-hmm. to enable us to, like, cast your Lightning Strikes. That seems hard. The one kind of neat thing is that this is a wizard (laughs) so yeah if okay so first turn i cast like an opt or a shock or something second turn play this guy third turn you play adelie's attack with them both you get to recast the thing pump your guys then on your fourth turn you can just go like absolutely nuts i'm in i kind of like that Yeah, no, that's cool for sure. I suspect that the sweetest plays that this card is gonna make is are gonna be limited. Yeah, um, just because you just like you know you're gonna have more of like a higher variety of of cards to like put together to make sweet things happen. Right. But you know, there's definitely some interesting opportunities available for constructed for sure. Yeah. Um, can it can it cast uh, um, ancestral vision? Yeah, it can. Okay, that's I thought so. But um, the card's kind of hard to get into your graveyard. It is. You need to, like, faithless looting get into your graveyard. Mm, all right. <laughs> I'm well, not really into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I really... This does seem like the kind of card that just, like, disappears and doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's an attack trigger. It's, like, very specific with what it does. Yeah. Doesn't but have haste. Doesn't have haste. Has trample. 
But I guess that specifically goes really well with the pump spells. Well, they just wanted to be on brand for one threes with trample, one threes do, with doing trample. crazy stuff. <laughs> yes. It's it's a it's a card theme. Like if we did like a, a search a gather search There's a for surprising one threes number. with trample that are red, we're gonna see some some of them have double strike. Yes. Oh, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I wish that you know there's a. Uh, red pump spell from Dominaria that's target attacking creature gets plus three plus three and trample until end of turn mm-hmm. and if it weren't a target attacking creature it would work much better with this card you could yeah. like cast it on it flash it back on another creature and attack for a lot of damage in right. one turn because you you can't pump it in response to its trigger because when the trigger goes on the stack you have to target something immediately yes. yeah. yeah it's yeah. a bummer um, but it does work very well with pump spells so if there's playable ones then this has a chance I don't know how many pump spells you can play in a constructed deck, but Genre. if we were in a place where we wanted shocks anyways, yeah. and you put, you know... I think shock and opt are going to be the default. Yeah. Like, if if this card is going to see play in constructed, very likely it's going to be a spells matter wizard's deck that's just running shocks and ops. Yeah. I, honestly, I think that's like... I've gotten killed by Adelie's before. Yeah. It does a lot. Yeah. And if you... Like, if you untap with, like, this and Adelise, like, that's a really big ask. Mm-hmm. But if you ever do that, your opponent is going to die. Yeah. You can, like, cast a lightning strike, cast another spell, attack, flashback the lightning strike, and you've given your team plus three plus three, and also cast two lightning strikes and a spell. <laughs> right. So. No, it's great. Um, the, um, you only need one lightning strike even to do double lightning strike that turn. Right. So. Right. Seems solid. Yeah. So, it's, you know, interesting potential. I... It does ask a lot because it asks for an attack, and that's always tough. Yeah. It's a 1-3, so it's got some resiliency to, like, the shocks. It doesn't die to the one-mana removal, so, like, worst right. case is you're trading it for a two-mana something. And then, you know, deal. Then fine, it's just a guy. Right. Um, you, you traded on tempo with your opponent, so, I, you know, it's hard to be upset about that. Yeah. And, you know, it's not even, like, that bad of a top deck, because later in the game you will have stuff in your graveyard and right. just will have value. I don't know, man. And, it, like, if if you need to chump attack it for your opt or whatever, then so be it. Yep. Anything else we wanted to talk about? I guess some of these multicolored cards are pretty sweet. I don't know. I mean, I could say, like, a little bit about a lot of these, but yeah. none of them super stand out to me as, like, oh, man, we got to talk about this one. Yeah, I think I mostly agree. I like these lands. Having colorless lands with some effects is is nice. Emergence zone and interplanar beacon. Yes. So emergence zone taps for colorless and has one tap. Sacrifice emergence zone. You may cast spells this turn as though they had flash. Um, and oh, interplanar beacon just fixes your mana for planeswalkers. So that's kind yeah, of yeah. It's like your. It's like a weird variety of a. A Shimmering Plains, Grove. Uh, Planeswalker, Shimmering Grove, yeah. Yeah, um, but is neutral on mana. I, I was thinking about the Proliferate land, which is pretty neat. Yeah, um, okay, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, Emergence Zone is like kind of cool. To be able to cast anything as though it has flash, like, I don't know that this is a thing that you can fit into any of the Wilderness Reclamation decks, mm-hmm. but to be able to be like, okay, I don't really have that much to do with this Wilderness Reclamation, so I'm going to take a turn and just cast a huge Hydra Crisis and completely reload. Right. It's, like, kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. And uh, even from a limited context, I think this card is, like, a fine pickup over, like, a C, like, common or whatever that's, like, a curve filler. I think that... If you can swing the colorless. Yeah, if, you're, if your deck isn't super color-intensive... And I just have no idea what I generally, these decks are going to look like. But I generally hate running any colorless land in my limited attack. That's but, fair. But definitely sometimes, depending on what kind of fixing and stuff you have, you can do it. Yeah. 
I'm just too much of a coward most of the time. Well, I mean, you'd be correct there. Generally, limited mana bases are very bad. Yeah, you're already <laughs> struggling. Yeah, if you're not running ten seven, then you're having a bad time in some in some variety or another. Agree. So. But yeah, so just side note, proliferate is a mechanic that they're bringing back, which is kind of cool because it lets you reuse your planeswalkers with only minus abilities. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's most of the stuff. We're certainly going to talk about more of these cards eventually, but you know, oh. This card. Last one. Okay. Death Sprout. Oh, yeah. So, perfect card. The art, be- like, stunning submechanon art. A- and then everything about this card just speaks to me. Okay. One, one black, black, and a green. Instant. Destroy target creature. Search your library for a basic land card. Put it onto the battlefield tapped. Then shuffle your library. Amazing. Whew, I've it never... Just, it does everything that you cool. want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never wanted to pay four mana for a murder this badly. <laughs> yeah, a murder that ramps me. Oh, my God. It's if, so good. If we're casting six mana Liliana, this is how I want to get there. Oh, absolutely. That that curve sounds great. Yes. Yeah. Four mana, kill your four mana big thing, get a land. Now I don't have to minus because your board is, is right, yeah. demolished. Right, yeah. No, it, I think this is a really solid card. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I... Just really want to play some black green decks with this in it now. I'm I'm very in. I'm sure you will be able to. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's always good. Yeah. Simple. I can't believe we don't have a card that does that mm-hmm. yet. It's wild to me that this is the first time we've seen that. Yeah. I mean, you know, design space is definitely out there for sure. Yeah. And it's funny that that I say that you you certainly will be able to because black green is definitely that color combination that just like always has it, something in standard. If it was like a blue white card, I'd be like, man, I really hope there's a blue white deck in this <laughs> you know in this standard format. But it's just black green, so it's like probably gonna see play. Yep. yep. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. We'll talk about stuff next time. We'll talk about this Jace. We'll talk about some other planeswalkers. The Obnixilis in this set is like the least Obnixilis Planeswalker right, we've yeah. ever seen. It doesn't, it doesn't plus for value. It doesn't minus to destroy anything. It doesn't have an ultimate. What's it, going on? Well, it does minus to destroy stuff, but at oh, okay. negative it's, value to yeah, you, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's wild. For sure. Yeah. But that's probably enough for this time. Yeah, I agree. And we will. We have plenty more to talk about. Anybody who is playing in Cleveland this weekend, best of luck. Yeah. Sorry, we will not see you there, but yeah. we'll be back. If you want to find us online, you can find us at mtggrindcast.com. You can find links to our Patreon there, social media, all that kind of stuff. Um, you can go. You can also find links to Collins' coaching services there. Um, you can find our Patreon as well at patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. You can find us on Twitter. I am tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. Peace.